And to those of you who are guests with us today, uh, welcome. Uh, maybe you're here visiting with a friend, or maybe you're looking for a new church home. Maybe you're not even a believer, but you're just wanting to check us out and see what we're all about. Whatever the circumstance, I'm glad you're here. My name is Justin, and I'm your guest preacher for today. I'm also a deacon here at Genesis, and my wife and I lead a community group in our home just down the street. If you know anything about me, uh, I love this weather this morning. I'm sure you all do too. I woke up, 58 degrees, and I was excited. Uh, so anyway, I wanted you to grab your Bibles and open them up to Romans 12. We're going to be spending most of the time uh, there together today. Okay, But before we go there, we'll take a look at the new commandment that Jesus gave us in John chapter 13, uh, verses 34 and 35. You don't have to turn there. I can read that for you. Today we will be talking about the community of love. We're going to try and answer the question, how are we to relate to one another, both within the household of faith and with those outside of the fellowship of Christ? This is the sixth sermon in the series on community, and and so far we've learned that it is God that has created community, but sin has strained it. Jesus reconciled community, while the Holy Spirit enables us to live in a sanctifying community, all to the end of being reconciled to the Father and seeing others come to faith. Before we get into it, let us pray. Our Father in heaven, help us today as we seek to glorify your name in worship by song and in the hearing of your word and by the encouragement of one another in fellowship. Help us to not go astray, but to be steadfast in your grace and mercy by your spirit that you have given to us by the work of Jesus. Help us to seek to honor you, not only by word, but also in our actions. Your nearness to us is our good. So be near, gracious Father. Help me as I preach this morning to honor your text, and may the hearer take your word to heart and be encouraged, stirred in their their affections for you. Guard us from the fiery arrows of the enemy, from believing lies that lures us away from truth, and from our own flesh, which seeks its own way, but instead guide us in truth into your glorious light. It is in Christ's name that we pray, amen. All right, so let's take a quick look at uh, John 13. Uh, Jesus' words in chapter 13 set the stage for our discussion today. It says, beginning in 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. 35, By this all people know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. My friend, you see, it is not optional instruction in the Christian life. Jesus calls it a commandment. God has called us into faith, into his family, and becomes the example of how we are to love each other by loving us first. We are to love in the same way that he has given his love. Why does Jesus even care? Why does he care that we love one another? It doesn't make any sense to me unless it's to another end. So does this mean that Jesus primarily wants us to be nice to one another? Is it some sort of new morality, a new work for us to fulfill? No. It's so that others will know that we are in Christ. 
all social statuses, all different upbringings, different struggles, different bank accounts, white-collar workers, blue-collar workers, from every ethnic background, people groups, and political leanings. They all have things in common in Christ. That is to say, Christ is our head, and we are his body. He is our bridegroom, and we his bride. We love one another because we are the same body. Because he is making us like himself in order to sanctify us and his bride. Our time together will be spent discussing how we are to love in such a way as this. Now, let's move over to Romans chapter 12 and see what it is that we are called to. I'm going to start in verse 9 here. It says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. In the eight verses that precede uh, this verse nine uh, that my lovely wife read, Paul begins by saying that he appeals to you by the mercies of God. And it is only by God's mercy that we are able to live out our faith in this type of community. He says there to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our minds. His assumption is that something has got to change in us. Namely, the way we think and feel about one another and the world around us. He goes on to say that we are many members of the same body, all having different giftings, and that we are to use those gifts to serve one another. So back at verse 9, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. The hallmark of our faith is the genuine expression of love. It is active moving love. It is not passive, but love pushes back the darkness and holds fast to the light. Genuine love is a love without hypocrisy. It is sincere. Think about that word for a moment, genuine. What does it mean in this context? I believe it means that your heart must match your actions. What's going on on the inside matches the outside. In fact, I believe that if you have a believing love in your heart, a grace-filled love, a, a Christian love, that it must, it has no other option but to express itself. A sincere love is one that is not an imitation of the real thing. I mean, it's not pretend. It's wanting the best for one another. It's a reflection of Jesus. If we were to view genuine love as the launch point for the rest of these verses, the chapter title of what it means to be a true believer, we will see how it is that we are to live. Love one another with brotherly affection, verse 10. When Paul tells us to love each other like family, he means that since we are adopted children of God, we share the same Father, the same Spirit, with Jesus as our Savior and our hope, that you and I are spiritual brothers and sisters. And we are to love each other as such. The last time I preached was Father's Day, and I said that some of us may have difficulty viewing God as Father because of our earthly fathers are imperfect and may have let us down in some way. And I think 
The same is true here. Sometimes the broken relationships we encounter negatively impact how we view the relationship in the body. We may not realize we have a dysfunctional or flawed view of family. That's why we need the word to transform us. Regardless of whether you may have a real close relationship with siblings or you may not, the idea here is to embrace each other as brothers and sisters. The words brotherly affection stirs up thoughts of rich love and adoration for one another. Not shake hands on Thanksgiving and try not to fight at the dinner table over politics kind of love. This is the type of family you call on when you're in trouble to get you out of a jam. These are the people who show up if you need a place to sleep. If you're having trouble in your relationships, if you lose a job, you call on these people because you know that they'll be there for you no matter what. This is the kind of love that we have for one another, or we should. Every week we hammer about community groups here. It's because they are how we express these ideas in the daily life of the church. Everything we are talking about today can be lived out in our community groups. The people in your community groups are often, or at least I hope, should be the people you're texting with on a regular basis. Sharing your struggles with joys. You celebrate new life together. Spending time together, not just because you have time on the calendar once a week, but because you truly love each other. Verse 10 says to outdo one another in honor. How is it that we do that? Isn't it funny that many of us are so competitive in so many different ways? Uh, You think of sports, of course, but other areas of life. We're always trying to outdo each other in, in just about every way other than showing honor. Isn't that the truth? Think about it. I mean, many of us are, uh, are in competition with one another, but to what end? I don't know. It can affect every area of our lives. For parents, it's often, look what my kid can do. When somebody starts to share an accomplishment of one of their children, boom, outdo them. Look at the shiny new thing I bought. Look how it twinkles. What job do you have? Do you want to hear about my job? Well, how is it that we are to outdo each other in honor? By considering others more important than ourselves. This is a common theme in our home. We try to teach our children not uh, we try to teach our children to not consider their needs first, but always the needs of another. Do you know how hard it is to treat, uh, teach another human being this? We're all like those seagulls. My kids were watching um, Finding Nemo last night, and we're all like those seagulls in the movie. Mine, 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 mine. And I'm not just talking about the children. I'm talking about us. Maybe I'm speaking for myself. But not when it came to Christ. He thought of you and me. Right behind the glory of God, he thought of you and me when he went to that cross. He prayed in the garden, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, your will be done. You see what happens there? Christ demonstrated that we must put aside our own desires and to seek to fulfill God's will, his desires. 
Verse 11 says to not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit to serve the Lord. We are not to be spiritually lazy, but as I said before, active, moving, and servant-hearted. Busy in the duty of Christ-likeness. This means we are to find ourselves in the service of the Lord. That's just another way of saying to do what Jesus does. The dictionary defines what it means to be fervent like this. It means to have a passion or intensity. How often do we have a passion to serve others? Like we wake up, we get out of bed, and we just want to serve others in Christ. Or does it look more like begrudging submission? As if we honor the Lord by gritting our teeth and pressing on just because it's the right thing to do and we're supposed to do it. No. God wants our hearts to align with his. He wants our affections to be his affections. Or let me say, his affections to be our affections. If this is you who lacks passion or zeal for service of the body, how do we get that? How do we get out of the slump? I believe it is through prayer and walking in obedience and truth. And that's different than begrudging submission. It is because of your love for God and your desire to serve him, we step out of this this mindset and we decide to walk in truth whether we feel like it or not. It's not white-knuckling it. It's honoring the Lord. Verse 12 says, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Hope. Patience. Prayer. We all have good times and bad, joys that abound, and hardships that find us, often unprepared and without solid footing. Regardless of the season we find ourselves in, the Christian should be steadfast in hope. Romans 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we also rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces what? Hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who he has given to us. Therefore, we are to be patient in tribulations, my friends, because of the hope we have in Christ. But how? How do we do this? If we have lost our zeal or passion, we talked about a moment ago, or we cannot find our hope and we do not have patience, what do we say then? Do we white-knuckle it? Holding on the best we can? No, my friend. We return to God. We return to him in prayer. The Bible teaches us to be continually in prayer. That is to have a mindset of prayer, a heart of prayer, and in your prayer, throw your burdens onto Jesus. Ask the Father for zeal, for patience, for hope. 
David said in the Psalms, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. David didn't take it for granted. If you like joy, ask for it. Hope, call upon the name of the Lord. Patience, zeal, ask, and do not doubt. Verse 13 says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Another mark of a true Christian is charity and hospitality. To give to your brothers and sisters in need. Or simply to be generous. We talk about generosity at Genesis a lot. We want to be a generous people. We talk about giving a lot. Because we want to be a giving people. We want to honor God by our actions and our deeds. They used to say that you know where your heart lies if you just open up your checkbook, but no one carries around checkbooks anymore. I guess we're just going to have to go to our online banking account. The first thing that springs to mind when uh, giving to the needs of others would be acts of service. What does your fellow church member need? Are they moving? Then it's packing, lifting boxes, driving a truck, maybe just lending a truck. Are they struggling in marriage? Maybe it's a listening ear, time with them, and prayer. It could be financial needs. Are they struggling to keep the lights on? Pay their light bill. We have a benevolence ministry that does just that. When you give to the church, it goes to serve the person sitting in front of you or behind you. Or perhaps someday yourself. We often don't know who needs help. Maybe someone in your community group shares that they're having trouble with the grocery budget. Help. Buy their groceries. Perhaps make them a meal or, or have them over. And be hospitable. Have people in your home. And just, don't just talk about yourself or your stuff. But ask them questions. Be interested in who they are what they love, and where they are on their own spiritual journey. And this is an important point. Don't just invite the people in whom you share the most things in common, who look like you in every facet of life, who make you feel comfortable. Seek to make others feel at home in your home. Hospitality is not merely having people in your home. It's about making people feel at home in whatever environment you find yourself in. Some of us may not be set up to invite people over, and that's okay. For whatever the reason, but the instruction still applies. Regardless of your living situation, be hospitable. We have uh, dear friends uh, of ours who are the absolute best at hospitality. And in one season of their life, they didn't have much money to go around, but they would have us over, and I know they would have others over as well, and, and they would feed us popcorn and smoothies because that's all they could afford. And they made us feel like royalty. Some of you know who I'm talking about because they're always hospitable. They, they live their life to, to share Jesus with others. So sometimes, still in our home, we have popcorn and smoothies for dinner, and it doesn't feel cheap feels special because of the memory that they set as an example for us. 
You don't have to have a lot or make a big to-do out of this. Make it simple. Find someone here today before you leave who you haven't shared a meal with and invite them over. Before I walked in today, somebody came up to me and said, hey, we'd like to have you over for dinner. I love that that happens in this church. If you don't cook, order a pizza. Spend some time with those older than you and younger. If you're married, find a single person. If you're single, invite a family over. Do you have a small place? Who cares? Scooting closer to one another. Do you have a large home? Scooting closer anyway. Let's just not stop serving one another. Let's be like Jesus. Verses 14 through 21, it it starts to get a little more difficult for us because it seems contrary to our nature. It says, bless those in 14. It says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. We are to bless our enemies. Come on, we all have them in one way or another, in various forms. Maybe a relationship gone sour. Maybe somebody you haven't talked to in a long time. Maybe for some reason that you don't understand, someone is callous towards you or they gossip about you. Whatever it is, bless them. Pray for them. Only speak kindly about them. This honors the Lord. Blessing someone means to want things to go well for them. If it is within your means to help things go well for them, do those things. Verse 15 says to rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Rejoice and weep. When a friend or foe rejoices, rejoice with them. Do not let them celebrate alone. Don't find yourself jealous. Wanting to rejoice for yourself in a similar success? Honor them and rejoice in the Lord. You can think of many situations. Maybe you can't have children and your friend gets pregnant. Don't be bitter. Be happy. Rejoice. Maybe you can't find a job, but your friend does. Rejoice. Likewise, weep. That is to say, when someone is weeping or mourning, be with them. In that moment, minister to the Lord to them. Do not try to change their circumstance. You see that a lot. Giving advice when somebody is weeping. No, sit with them. Weep with them. Pray with them. These two responses to joy and sorrow are both ministry and love. Verse 16 says, in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. To love one another, we are to put away all pride and conceit. We are to have harmony, the word says, and to not think too much of ourselves, but associate with those who are less fortunate. Think on those things we have just discussed. Charity, hospitality, rejoicing and weeping, servanthood. Pride comes before the fall. We often struggle with our relationships and, and, and dealing with others because we 
um, in our own minds, we're always right. I've never met somebody who thought they were wrong. Because if you thought you were wrong, you wouldn't think that. And, and, and yet, we have difficulty sometimes being in fellowship with those who think differently than us. Isn't that true? We should put, that's called conceit. It's called pride. Put that aside and serve one another. That's what the word says here. Be charitable, hospitable. I tell you, when no one has ever loved by leading with pride, being too good for others, showing partiality. When we are, hum- when we are humble ourselves before the Lord, we are the lowly. Compared to God's wisdom, we are the fool. In general, people tend to compare their own strengths with others' weaknesses, their knowledge with another's ignorance. Everybody has something to teach you. Be both the disciple maker and the disciple. Paul teaches us here to live in harmony with one another. Next, let's look at verses 17 and 20 as a group. Um, as we learn how to respond to others when we are sinned against. I'm going to read this section. It says in verse 17, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is the Lord's, or vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 20, To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When it comes to those who have wronged us in some manner, we should, uh, by the endless mercies of God, be upright in dealing with them. The word says to live peaceably with them. More than that, we should overcome evil with good. Our hope in this is to see those who are who mean us harm, come to faith in Jesus and be reconciled to the Father. Last night I was up reading on this very uh, difficult part of the text and I came by this helpful explanation from John Piper. Big surprise. Uh, It says, bear with me because it's a little bit lengthy quote here, but uh, quote, verse 14 is clear. Yes, our aim is loving our enemy I'm sorry, our aim in loving our enemy is to bless him, not curse him. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Our first and most urgent longing for our enemy is that they be blessed, that they repent, and that they trust Christ, and that his ransom pay their debts and give them salvation. Yes, that is the goal. It is the goal of this whole chapter. Live so as to lead people into an enjoyment of the mercy of God. But that's not the whole picture. Because we saw in verse 13, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. This means that when you love your enemy and they don't repent and receive the blessing of your love, evil doesn't triumph God's justice triumphs. I will repay, says the Lord. You don't need to be the judge. God will. You don't 
need to win on earth, God will win for you in that last day. So when we get to verse 20, and we hear that loving our enemy will bring burning coals on their head, there are two realities in this context, not just one. One is mercy and blessing if they repent, and the other is justice and wrath if they don't. I'm saying that you will heap burning coals on his head refers more naturally to justice reality and not the mercy reality. End quote. If we were to continue reading Romans chapter 13, we will see Paul quoting Jesus when Jesus was being tested by the Pharisees, by them asking him, which is the greatest commandment? And Paul recounts that in chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Namely, the second part of what Jesus said there. Verse 8 says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the, com- for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this, in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Authentic Christian living, a Christian experience that seeks to serve people, also seeks to win people. When Jesus says that they who are on the outside will know you by your love for one another, is another way of saying that you will be set apart. I believe that the ones who are being called to Christ will look on through the window of the church and see a joyful family serving and loving one another. When we live like this, they will look in and see Jesus. And Jesus waves them to come in and they will knock on that beautiful door and it shall be open to them.